everybody. In today's episode of Still to be Determined, we're going to talk about whether or not you want to be able to buy Taco Bell and eat it while you're waiting for your car to charge or whether faster is better. <laughs> As usual, I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I write some sci-fi. I write some stuff for kids. And I'm just all around inquisitive about things regarding tech. And luckily for me, I have my own tech guru. Yes, it's my brother, Matthew. <laughs> Matt, of course, is the host of Undecided with Matt Farrell. And that's the starting point of all of these videos. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing okay. It's a rainy day here in New York City. We are in the early days of April, so according to a saying, I seem to recall something, something, April shower is something, something, summer, Flowers. summer <laughs> comes. So today we're going to be talking about Matt's most recent episode that was entitled, This Battery Breakthrough Let's EVs Charge in Minutes. And the word minutes is all capitalized. That lets you know how important this is. Yes. This episode dropped on March 29th, 2022. And there was a good number of different discussions going on in the comments. Mm -hmm. Sometimes your videos spawn a single chain of discussion, which churns through the whole comment thread. And sometimes yep. like this one, yeah, people were approaching this from a lot of different angles. So I'm going to touch on a bunch of different things really quickly as we work our way through the discussion. First, there was a bit of people saying, I get a whiff of snake oil. Oh, from some of this, yeah, there was some of this that was making people say, this just seems, and it, it almost seemed like, well, it's too good to be true. If you think so. Okay. Yes. Right. So yep. my question to you, we've talked in other videos about the ability for people to promote things. You know, a headline gets written in right. you know, a science magazine that says, this is going to change everything forever. We finally solved all the problems. Don't worry right. about anything ever again. Rainbows for everybody. Right. And then 12 years later, Never the same headline, the same headline yeah. appears about <laughs> the same thing and it hasn't progressed at all. Right. So just from your perspective of trying to reassure, I, yeah, you, you gave the company spokesman from which company was it? Battery streak, battery streak, battery yes. streak spokesman. You gave him a platform to talk about what his company is doing. I mm -hmm. know you, <laughs> you're not the sort of person who's going to be like, oh, you're full of chicanery. Come on over here and talk to my audience about this. You're no. not going to, you're not going to open the door to somebody who's going to be s selling snake oil. So my question to you, in what ways is this different from the headline? Everything is better. Rainbows for everybody. What makes you feel like, okay, this is something that we should talk about in a reasonable way to say like, this is potentially on its way. Because of the stage that this company is at, I mean, they're, they're no longer the bench lab scale. Oftentimes when you see those headlines, it's always about, you know, breakthrough. It's this crazy thing charges in three minutes and yada, yada, yada. And then you read the, read into the details and it's like, oh, it's at a university or a small lab. And it was a bench lab scale demonstration and that's it. And there was not any kind of follow through on pilot scale testing of ramping up production to see how difficult it is to actually manufacture, testing it with partners to see how partners will actually use the technology and getting feedback from partners on how to adjust it. That's typically where that snake oil salesman feel comes in. Battery Streak is not at that stage. They're in that middle area 
where they're working, they're starting to work with partners. And one of their partners is the US government. So they're working with our military on technology. They're working with other different, they're starting to talk to other partners about testing out their technology. So they're at a very interesting phase. It does not mean that they're going to be a success. And I have no horse in this race, whether they succeed or not, but mm-hmm. they are definitely at a stage now where they have a provable technology that they are producing and handing off to partners. So that to me is, it's no longer snake oil. And the first time I talked to them on the call was Dan Alpern, who's, who is the gentleman that was on in the video. But the first call was one of the lead material scientists that was, I was able to talk to and gave me some very detailed explanations of things and was able to answer some of my questions. So I got to talk to not just Dan, who's on marketing, but I got to talk to one of the people who's actually <laughs> designing right. this battery. Right. So it's from, every, from my conversations and everything I've seen, this is technology that is coming. It's not a, if it's going to happen, it is going to happen. Not necessarily Battery Streak's version of it, but fast charging batteries. StoreDot is another company that's doing this. You know, solid state batteries have been promised for years, but they're, they're going to get here eventually. Mm-hmm. So this fast charging tech will arrive. It may not be here next year or three years from now, but it's, it's coming. So it's like, this is not snake oil. It is actually going to happen. Right. There was also, there was comment that I spotted, which pointed out that he referenced in his conversation, how McKinsey had evaluated their, their work plans. And Mm -hmm. there was some pushback around McKinsey being involved because McKinsey is somewhat notorious for working with pretty much anybody. And Mm -hmm. there was the call out of saying like, they're not known for the most moral decision-making around who they work with. And my response to that, and I invite you to respond after I share my thoughts is you and I, you know, people on the street can say, oh, McKinsey, I don't like McKinsey. I don't like the fact Mm -hmm. that they work with authoritarian governments and they evaluate, you know, despot rulers control over, you know, the control of, of the resources in their terrain and, and so forth. But you and I are not the money people. You and I are not the people Mm -hmm. who will take these technologies to the next level. The people who are going to take these technologies to the next level, including government, as you point out, they're going to want to see McKinsey's involvement in this. And I, I know that for myself, I wish we didn't live in a world where sometimes people who bend moral and ethical decision-making to suit their own, to line their own pockets. I, I wish that didn't happen, but I also understand we do live in a world where that takes place. And so a role that McKinsey might have in evaluating this technology in my mind, doesn't give it the black eye that the, that the commenter seemed to imply that, oh, if McKinsey is involved in looking at this, then clearly something nefarious or something immoral might be happening. What, yeah, do you, no. what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I'm in the same place. It's, I, I wish we weren't in that, <laughs> wish we didn't live in the world that we kind of live in right now yeah. with things like that. But it, I would not be like, using that as my only reason to discount the study that McKenzie did for them on their technology because countries and different companies are going to want to vet this. And the, the, the McKenzie study is one piece of what they'll use to evaluate it, as well as they'll do their own vetting. They'll have right. their own third-party analysis. That's part of why I brought up, like, they're at the stage now where they're sending things to partners for partners to try this stuff out. Partners are going to be putting this to its paces. And if it doesn't live up to the promise, they're going to know. So it's it's... I don't know. I just, I just kind of am in a place where it's like, it's, I wish McKenzie wasn't the one that they, they used to cite this stuff, but at the same time, it is what it is. Right. 
to go directly to some of the comments that I wanted to share, some comments along the lines of this one from Susan Patterson, who wrote, what is stopping me from going electric right now is the price. A local dealer, mm -hmm. for instance, wants $12,000 over suggested retail price for the electric Hyundai on his lot. And I've heard similar stories from around the country. Even without that markup, all new cars are just far out of most people's comfort zone at this point. As the medium, or maybe it was the average price of a new car, electric or not, was reported by Consumer Reports to be $46,000. Yeah. So in your video, you're talking about there's an underlying concern among some car purchasers about how far they'll be able to drive before having to recharge, how long mm -hmm. recharging takes. Mm -hmm. But there's also this aspect to it. My question to you is kind of a two-part question. First, do you see anything about the pricing of electric vehicles dropping as a result of new breakthroughs or changes? And second, with the kind of movement to the new technology that you talked about in your most recent video, would that help with the sticker price or would it potentially mm. keep the sticker price where it is because it's a new technology and they're going to have to recoup investment in this new tech? Yeah. All this new tech, I don't care what tech you're talking about, whether it's battery streak, store dot, quantum scape with solid state batteries. I don't care what you're talking about. When you're talking about something new tech, it's always going to be crazy expensive to start because that's just the way this stuff works. Once they perfect the, the process of manufacturing it and you end up with higher, you know, successful cylinders and batteries that are made, costs start to drop as you get to more commercial mass scale production. So it's like any new technology is going to be small batches, which means more expensive. It's going to take a while for that to trickle down and become affordable. So okay. as awesome as I think the battery streak tech is, it's not going to help with the affordability of cars in the next three to five or even 10 years. That's, it's going to be a, a long tail. And mm -hmm. the, the tech we're seeing in EVs today is what's going to make the cheaper EVs five years from now. It's because right. it's the today's battery technology is going to get cheaper and cheaper to produce. This newer technology is going to come in and be expensive to start. So it's just going to kind of all push each other down. So no, it's not going to help with prices, right. <laughs> at least initially. There was this one from Gio Bakur who wrote, in my opinion, the main selling point for Niobium batteries is the longer durability. And it would be yeah. perfect for electronics and home storage. So you talked briefly about the potential for something like this to be in a phone, to yeah, know, be something yeah. that could to change not just vehicles, but other, other battery using devices in our homes. And my question to you is one of the things you pointed out in your video, niobium batteries. And every time I say niobium, it sounds like a made up word from Star Trek. Like yes. we've got to get country there and, from a Marvel TV show. <laughs> yeah. We've got to go to, to visit niobium. They've got, they've got what we need. Is there a bigger future for use of this technology in things other than cars, given the fact that you pointed out mm -hmm. the charging stations that is currently available, the charging stations that are currently available in the US and, and worldwide are not designed with this new technology in mind. So it would require yet again, another change of infrastructure. Yeah. Is it possible that this battery tech might actually be more readily available and find an easier way into market through things like phones and home tech, where I imagine you would just purchase a device with a brand new charger and that new charger would be what would convert the electric voltage into what it needed to be to work with this new battery. 
Yeah. Based on the comments, there, there's an angle of this I wish I had touched on because even though the fast charging tech for EVs isn't like there completely, like a lot of this tech is like, we can charge at 500 kilowatts. Well, there's no 500 kilowatt chargers. So, okay. The thing to remember though, it, like specific for battery streak, part of the fact because it's, it keeps the temperature so low as it's charging, it can have a more linear, flatter charging curve than a typical battery. When you charge your phone on a fast charger today, or you fast charge an EV, if it's near 0%, it's almost depleted, it'll charge at its max capacity immediately. And then over time, they have to ramp that speed down to, as it gets closer to 100%. So at like 50% when you're charging an EV, it's charging full capacity off that charger. And then when it gets to about 40, 50%, it starts to slow down. And then when it gets to like 70%, it slows down even more. So the initial, wow, this thing is charging blazing fast is usually only at the very beginning of the charge cycle. And they have to do that to manage the battery's health, longevity, to keep the heat in check. There's all these reasons why they do it for battery safety. Mm -hmm. With the battery streak technology, because the heat is so low, you can have more of a, you can have a flatter charging curve, which means you're charging at a, at a higher, more consistent rate for longer. So even if you're charging at the same exact wattage that you're already doing it today, it's going to be faster because you don't have to, you don't have to curve that charging off. So that alone will save us time, even with the existing infrastructure for EVs, even with the existing chargers you have today for your phones, it like, it will speed up the charging just in general, because you won't have to have such an aggressive tail off curve to that charging right. cycle in theory. So it's like, it's one of those, this is where the companies that they're partnered with doing the testing are going to have to test this out, see how it works and see what they can do to maintain that battery health and get a fast charging cycle. So. There's, there's a win-win even without an updated charging infrastructure. So instead of being able to park, plug in your car, go in and get your Taco Bell and eat it before your car is done charging, maybe you need to get it to go. The- <laughs> well, like you, you and I have gone on a couple of EV trips together recently. When we stop, like one of the things that like a Tesla does as you're getting to the charger, you, you program in, I want to go to a Tesla charger. The last like 20 minutes before you get there, the car actually starts to warm up the battery pack to kind of prime it for fastest charging. So when you get to the Tesla charger and you plug it in, that battery is hot and primed and ready to go to take as fast of a charge almost immediately as it can. Mm-hmm. Just by making that change, when Tesla did that, it shaved off several minutes off the overall charging time just by that one little tweak that they did. Their new chargers, their V3 chargers can do 250 kilowatts. So it's like, Again, it ramps down quickly from that as you're charging, but it shaves off a few more minutes. So it's like, it's one of those with a battery tech like this, it's like you could shave off some more minutes because you don't have to flatten off. So it's like, it all starts to add up and where you and I stopped and we went and got a bite to eat and 25 minutes later, we're walking out to the car and the car could continue to go because it's at 80%, but we sit there for a few more minutes and let it top up a little bit more. It's like, we would probably go in get a bite to eat. And by the time we're out, it actually is done. And right. we can just like get in the car and go. So it's like, it's th- that's what we're talking about here. Even right. without changing the infrastructure, it's going to shave off five, 10 minutes or something like that off your charge time. Okay. So this isn't an issue where the infrastructure is actually going to hold back the interest in the tech. No, especially with the increased cycle life. That's going to be very appealing across, <laughs> doesn't matter what you're talking about, EVs, grid scale batteries, home batteries. I don't, I don't care what you're talking about. The fact that you have twice as many charging cycles with 
the same degradation and the degradation rate is very linear. So it's like, it's, it's a very predictable pattern and a longer lifespan. It's like that, that's going to be very appealing in its own way too. Yeah. The final comment I wanted to talk about was this one and Marcello, I'm going to apologize in advance if I mispronounce your name, obviously being the native English speaker that I am, I have a much easier time when a username is something like big burger face. It's (laughs) I'm familiar with all those words. So big burger face doesn't get mispronounced, but Marcello Pinheiro who is from Brazil, shared this, and it's a long comment, but I think it's all very important. I wanted to share it in its entirety. I'm Brazilian, and I don't know how to feel about this. Just like lithium's largest reserves are causing tensions in Bolivia, Brazil is the largest reserve in niobium and the next EV industry target. It's an opportunity, but also a liability. And seeing the current government, quote, legalize mining in indigenous lands makes me very sad. The state's former public company responsible for mining was privatized decades ago. The profits were privatized and do not go to public good. The mining company also has been involved in many environmental disasters. Most recently, a dam holding heavy metal waste broke and destroyed the city of Bermondino, killing hundreds of people in the process while also contaminating the environment. People are still fighting to get compensation in the justice system. Now seeing this video, I don't know what to call it. Hope, despair, it's weird. They say niobium is strategic to the country, but I don't see my life directly changing because of it. The niobium-to-be oligarchs are trying to push the package of it being good for the economy because they might hold a monopoly. But knowing my country, the most probable future is privatized greed screwing the environment and rainforests and the public paying the price. They might possibly get the land of the indigenous peoples along the way. It would be good if we were able to produce everything from universal materials like carbon, sodium, magnesium. A reliance on rare resources concentrated geographically will always lead to conflict, internal and maybe even external. This is something your video doesn't really touch on, but you and I have talked Mm. about this in the past and you have had specific videos in which you've investigated things like mining in Africa around Mm -hmm. rare earth materials that are used like cobalt cobalt. and that was brought up in your interview with this company in talking about they're working on something that could remove cobalt from the equation as a as a means of avoiding a problematic material Mm -hmm. this comment though points out and rightly so any reliance on rare materials concentrated in specific parts of the globe is going to lead to this kind of monopolization, environmental Mm -hmm. impact, and conflict. The impact on indigenous people is a real nightmare issue around the world. Mm -hmm. And my question to you, as Marcello points out, it would be good if there was a way to produce things from universal materials. Are you aware of any work being done in ways that would meet the need that this new tech seems to be meeting, but they would avoid some of these issues. Like you mentioned Tesla's silicone battery. Mm -hmm. Is that potentially something that would have less of this kind of downside? Because this is a very specific downside. It's a huge Mm -hmm. one. The environmental impact, the impact on indigenous people, the impact on the entire economy of a country, a country the size of Brazil becoming 
entirely dependent or massively dependent on an industry that is going to have this type of impact is a hard reality that we have to talk about. Yep. But is there a way around that in any of the things you've seen on the horizon? This is a really tough <laughs> topic. Yeah. I've been thinking about doing a video on supply chain for a long time. And I've got, I use a service called Notion where I keep an idea board. And I have this supply chain note for myself where I'm just collecting all this research and information, like stuff like this to talk about it. Because everything I'm seeing is <laughs> there's in one respect, we're trading one problem for another. Yeah. It's like, we need to get off of fossil fuels. So we're switching to this other technology and it's great, but there's downsides to this new technology as well. And yeah. I have seen nothing, absolutely nothing that will solve this problem that you're raising right now. I've, I, it's, we need, there are certain materials we need, no matter what the technology is you're talking about that require mining. And there's different areas in the world that those things are key. So if you're talking lithium, you're talking like China. If you're talking niobium, you're talking Brazil. If you're talking, it's like, it's no matter what you talk about, this is going to be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so the best we can do in my take, and this is a really, this is not going to be well-structured take, but we need to stay on top of this. We need to talk about it. Yeah. And we have to be laser focused to make sure that countries like Brazil are not getting screwed over, that the people in the land are not getting screwed over right. through this process. I don't have an answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the solution is. There were some responses to Marcel's comments along the lines of, I wish there was something I could do about that. And I think, that, I think there are things that people can do about it. One thing that you can do is you can reach out to your elected representatives and, and voice your concern about things like this so that on every level in every region around the world, politicians who may not have a direct hand in this are aware of it as an issue to think about and talk about. Awareness is the first step. There are also organizations well, which you can yeah. look for, which work with giving a voice to the indigenous people. Indigenous people as an advocacy group is a growing reality in the world as our internet connectivity has allowed them to virtually or in person be able to sit down and literally have discussions and giving voice to people in Brazil, the indigenous peoples in Brazil, giving them an opportunity to actually sit down and be heard by the people on the other side of the table who are not thinking in terms of how do we protect this environment? How do we protect the livelihoods of these people? That's another way that you can have an impact. There are, it's a growing awareness and that's the audience that's listening to us. Anybody who raises that call in the form of even reaching out to your own local representatives and raising it as an issue, you can, you can shine a little bit more light on the, on the topic. Yeah. The cobalt issue is a good example of that. That was activism bringing awareness to that issue of what was happening in the Congo and what was happening with how the mining was being done mm -hmm. and how much damage it was doing to the people. And now because of that, companies are trying to get away from cobalt as fast as possible because it's it's a bad situation and they're trying to alleviate that problem right. but as you pointed out in the solution to that problem we may be creating a problem somewhere else and so we have to keep that activism and that attention 
right. dialed up to make sure that we're not just trading one problem for another. And we need to apply pressure to the companies where we buy these products from and let them know through either letter writing campaigns, social media, the power of the wallet, making sure that these companies understand you can't remove the problem around cobalt and recreate mm -hmm. the same problem somewhere else. You've got to learn those lessons from cobalt and apply those lessons to the other parts of the world. Yep. So listeners, what is the point that you're looking for in tech development like this? Is it price? Is it efficiency? Or is it something else like the kinds of environmental and cultural impacts that we've just been talking about? Let us know in the comments. You can, of course, find the contact information in the podcast description. Or if you're watching us on YouTube and you see our smiling faces, you can just scroll down below those smiling faces and leave a comment there. Don't forget, if you'd like to support the show, you can review us on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you found this podcast. You know where you found the podcast. Stop making me say podcast. Just go back to where you <laughs> found the podcast and review it. Subscribe. You can also go to stilltbd.fm. And there's a button there that says become a supporter. You can click that button and then you get to throw quarters at our heads. And if you're on YouTube, of course, you can click join on YouTube and become a member there. That's a, another way to throw a quarter at our head. All of that really does help. Thank you so much to everybody for listening, for watching, for leaving your comments, and we'll see you in the next one.